Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a weekly 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, a somewhat under-the-weather portfolio manager here at Rangeley Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the not-under-the-weather founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Wednesday, November 18th, and we're going to kick things off with this week's article of the week. It is called Senator Bob Corker Profits on Quick Stock Trades, and it's an article from early November in the Wall Street Journal. And Chris, the basics of this article is Senator Bob Corker is a day trading machine. how do you feel about a senator day trading uh, while kind of acting as a senator? Well, Andrew, uh, I've been looking through his disclosure to see what he's been up to, and yeah. I would say it's certainly been a big uh, focus of his. Absolutely. Uh, I, I've always been a fan of full disclosure solving most uh, uh, regulatory problems, uh, but boy, uh, this has certainly been what has been on his mind for the past few years. Uh, so. Here's just a stat for the readers. You can Google around Senator Bob Corker day trading. You can find some stats. But here's the one I really like. In 2014, there are 22 members of the Senate Banking Committee. Uh, in total, they made, I believe, just on, they made 995 equity trades. Uh, Senator Corker made 930 of those 995. And actually, only three members in total made any trades at all. So, uh I guess, how would you feel if your job was something other than trading stocks, if you found out that your typical employee was trading stocks three times a day? You know, uh, it's, it's obviously different in our case. So this is easy <laughs> if I wasn't, you might so, be concerned. So, I mean, in our free time, where Andrew and I are in the funny situation that uh, when nobody's looking, uh, our hobby is to do what our profession <laughs> is. So, uh, so this is a little bit uh, easy for us to pick on other people. Uh, but I'll still do so, uh, just because it's easy. It doesn't mean I won't do it. Um, uh, it, uh, it is a big uh, time sink. And even if there's no conflict, there's a kind of focus conflict. Yes, yes. Uh, now, so we've kind of talked about the time sink of the senator day trading. There's a lot more in the article, and one of the things it mentions is the stock he's trading with is a company who's donated to him. He has a tight relationship with the management team. Uh, I believe he had a his, uh, prior business relationship with them as well. Does that kind of change the equation for you that he's not only day trading, but he's day trading a stock that is actively contributing to him being a senator? Well, it probably bothers me less than it might bother other people. You know, we have an adversarial system, so yeah. we have basically a two-party system with very few exceptions. And um, I think if you have uh, no foreign money, you have no cash and full disclosure, that uh, when people are influencing political leaders, as long as uh, people know about it, uh, you can vote for somebody or against somebody uh, based on uh, your views about whether this is a big problem. So I I think that the idea of, uh, of conflict is probably kind of caricatured as if he's, you know, kind of doing things for them on the Senate floor uh, because uh, they ask. He probably, there's a different problem, and let me approach this as a problem from an investor, not as a voter, uh, that that people get very infatuated with the idea of, uh, of, of their own comfort and proximity with an investment. Absolutely. 
kind of get to know it. And, 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 and they look at their money and they look at the market and they sort of befriend certain ideas uh, as if this is a two-way relationship, as if the money or the market kind of knows them and is kind of looking out for them. And even in his descriptions of this as kind of his hometown company, uh, it's as if there's kind of some local pride associated with it, which uh, in the trades that have been disclosed, in some cases, uh, allegorically worked out for him. Yep. But if you look at the broader group of senators, it's actually interesting to see how few times this proximity and comfort actually led to good returns. Absolutely. So there, there is a study that studied con uh, congressmen, I believe, trades from 2004 to 2008. And it showed that even with all of their kind of trading and they were making policies, they, they underperformed the market by two to four percent on their trades if they had just gone and bought an index fund and obviously you never have to report buying an index fund to your uh to your constituents i also thought it was interesting they found examples of senators day trading mutual funds which when you buy a mutual fund you buy it at the day's close and when you sell it you sell it at the day's close so they were basically day trading nothing which mm -hmm. uh, i found very humorous but this it's another interesting point you make uh with the you know, you get too comfortable with your hometown stock. You get too comfortable buying and selling the stocks, in this case of something that you are regulating. Do you, do you think that's a really big disadvantage when you're buying or selling something that you kind of have a more personal attachment to? I think, I think it can be. Um, you know, I think that what, when you have, and let's just talk about, because I believe everything we're talking about here, as far as I know, is is we're talking about legal information, but 100%. where you have an edge, and um, and we're not even talking about anything that I have any kind of. Uh, I'm not referring to an ethical qualm here. I'm just looking at when you have uh, what could be uh, what could be an edge. Um, I think that um, in a lot of the things that we're looking at here, it just. Uh, is something that he kind of had a feel about, uh, and and I and I think that that is dangerous uh, and uh, and and foolhardy. Um, now I you know before we were talking about this, I didn't mention you know I used to work in the U.S. Senate uh, as a staffer, and then uh, shortly thereafter I was uh, working uh, for prop desks and hedge funds that were interested in getting information about Washington, and uh, where we really had what I thought was a real edge is on super politically sensitive is issues, mm -hmm. on tobacco, asbestos, things were kind of all or nothing bad on something yep. in D.C. And uh, these guys weren't really focused on what edgy, actionable ideas were. They were just focused on stuff they kind of heard from uh, their hometowns. Yeah. So just so the readers know, uh, Chris has a pile, I'm going to say it's 50 pages thick of just about, is that every day trade at Senator Corker made? Yeah, it's... It, it, it's quite a thick pile he's referring to, but on the inside knowledge type thing, I think it's interesting. He's day trading. You can find examples of him day trading, regulated telecoms, everything. And in, very, in many ways, it relates to CEOs of a company. They invariably think their stock is overpriced. You never hear a CEO who says, my Under, stock. Underpriced. Uh, they invariably think their stock is underpriced. Exactly. You never hear one who says it's overpriced, and that's in many times because they, they're inside it. They basically only get the good information. They've always got a bullish view on something they control. And I think it could be something similar to here where I regulate this industry. I'm going to do things that are beneficial for the industry, hopefully. 
I think almost everybody is overconfident, and the more you are knowledgeable and local, the more overconfident you become. Yes, I think exactly. if you had a kind of uh, fact-based level of confidence in your own life, you might be curled up in a fetal <laughs> position under your sheets and never get out of bed in the morning. So I think a certain level of overconfidence might make us into a more kind of functional uh, society. Uh, but every great operator that I've ever invested with has been overconfident and I almost don't mind as long as I get to reallocate the capital. Yeah. I like, if I was a coach, I might like my defensive linemen to uh, think that they're going to kill the guys that opposite them. You know, to, to be almost unhinged in their enthusiasm for their role. Uh, every great operator I know is like that, which is why operations and asset allocation are just two separate functions. And it's interesting that overconfidence, uh, as you say, it, you want a CEO who's overconfident in his abilities to operate, but is still a great operator and kind of knows that, believes that, can execute, but who understands his capital allocation's limitations. And I think a lot of times we find companies where they're really great operators, but they're terrible at estimating their capital allocation. Uh, we'll get back to this in one more. We're going to go to our uh, stock of the day in one second. Before we do, quick question. So in this case, everything was a long trade, right? Mm -hmm. Bought low. He tried to buy low so high. Would you have an issue with, say, the head of the banking committee short selling, uh, short selling the banks that he was regulating? So selling, selling and betting they would go down a J.P. Morgan and then passing onerous legislation against them. Well, you've presented me with a hard case, Andrew, because you both switched from legislature to a regulator. So the agency position, that's a harder case and a short boy. <laughs> uh, so let me, uh, uh, you know, uh, let, let me go out and say that with proper, uh, with proper disclosure, that would be fine. I think it should probably be uh, ahead of time, if not simultaneous. Uh, but it would certainly be an interesting data point to be able to find out. It's all fun and games until someone bets the stock is going to go down. Yeah. Um, so uh, stock of the day at this point, do you want to? Uh, yeah, yeah. Talk so the stock we want to talk about today is uh, it's called Winthrop Realty. The ticker the ticker is FUR. Uh, it was actually the subject of my investing with an edge article last week. Uh, I think it was the title was just investing with an edge Winthrop Realty, but maybe a more clickbaity title would have been invest in this REIT with a hundred and five percent dividend yield. So the basics is Winthrop isn't your typical REIT. They are undergoing a liquidation, and what this means is they're going to take all of their assets, sell them all, pay down any debt they have, and then all the proceeds will go to shareholders. And this isn't a very typical move for any company, to be honest with you. But it's very interesting as an investor to see it because, A, there's a tight time frame. You know, as soon as the company sells an asset, they pay you back, a very definitive time frame. And because it's so rare to see, it kind of signals some value there. Uh, very interesting from, we talked about the owner-operator perspective earlier, the CEO owns about 8% of the shares. And he's been very clear. He says, I think real estate's too expensive. The reason I'm liquidating is I, I can't find anything I want to buy, so I think I want to go sell it. And he's actually liquidated several REITs before, so kind of a guy it's worth following. Uh, let's see, so tight time frame. The other thing that's interesting about liquidations is not many people can look at them. The universe of stocks, because they're so rare, is very small. So professional investors aren't equipped to go look at them. Uh, there have been some studies that show that it, the returns from investing in liquidation range between kind of 15 to 20%, which on such a tight time frame is very interesting. And management teams are almost always conservative in their estimate. So, 
in a liquidation, you have to say how much you think you're going to get. If you come out and you say, we think we're going to give you five and you give everyone 10, you're a hero. You come out and you say, we think you're going to, we're going to give you five and you ultimately give them $2.50, you get investigated. Uh, and in this case, in April 2014, the original estimate was, we're going to give you guys $13.80. That was raised to $18.25 by November of last year. And currently, if you add up all the distributions they've given out, uh, it'll kind of come out to $18.60 uh, at the distributions they've given plus today's liquidation of $15.17. So the share price today is $14.30. Uh, the liquidation value estimate is $15.17. That's probably understated for all the reasons we've discussed. So you get a 5 to 6% discount to liquidation. It's probably understated. Uh, in the past, they've they, uh, they do a property by property estimate for estimating liquidation value, and they've generally sold at five to 10% above the high end of that estimate today. And the other thing we really like about this is there's this potential upside from they own, uh, they own a stake in 701 7th Avenue. This is a huge property in the heart of Times Square. So there's gonna be a 400 plus room Marriott hotel built there, tons of shopping, one of those big Times Square billboards. Ground broke on the property uh, just last month, and it should finish up in early 2017. Uh, their investment is through a preferred equity investment, and they estimate the value of the entire property at $1.17 billion, and they get 15% or so of the proceeds over $1.182 billion. The valuation was done in 2014. New York real estate properties have risen since then. Uh, this is kind of a trophy process. Asset, so it's got the potential for, say, a big Chinese buyer to come in and say, "Look, you know, a typical New York property goes for a five percent cap rate. We'll pay you a two percent cap rate because we want to own Times Square property." And when you start thinking about all that, it could easily add another between this and all the other discounts, another dollar per share. So, base case, we get a five percent return. Uh, any upside, it could go up to ten or fifteen percent, and it should liquidate by next August. Andrew, I think you're stereotyping by saying that the uh, party that could overpay is going to be Chinese. It could be Chinese <laughs> or Middle Eastern. Or Russian. Russian. Or Russian. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the things you've seen is uh, these people from kind of emerging, these oligarchs from emerging countries, they want to get their assets out and into the U.S. And the place they want to do it is U.S. real estate, maybe because it can't move. Uh, I don't know why they haven't heard of kind of diversified index funds, but neither here nor there. Uh, I've been talking for about four minutes, Chris. Kind of, what do you think about the liquidation process? Went throughout everything. Uh, I love these. Uh, it's kind of a process that our communication on investing has really come back to mm -hmm. time and time again. I almost think it's kind of the archetypal value investors play. You're trying to underpay uh, for every dollar of expected value, but beautifully you have a plan for it to come back to you I mean, yes. this is not what managers like to do managers tend to aggrandize their role to build an empire so somebody who comes to you and knocks on your door and says i'd like to fire myself that's a wonderful <laughs> thing and it probably is less conflicted uh, than almost anything you'll hear so it's music to my ears i think we'll make a lot of money here and it's a great opportunity yeah it's so cool we, we're always looking for kind of catalysts and just liquidations there self-catalyzing uh so with that we're going to kick it off that's all the time we have this week uh if you like this podcast please be sure to subscribe on itunes or soundcloud uh if you already subscribe if there's anyone you know who you think might like it we'd really appreciate it if you let them know about the podcast uh obviously if you like our ideas but you can do without our sometimes sick voices uh 
please be sure to follow Chris and me on Seeking Alpha. Chris writes the M&A Daily column. I write the Weekly Investing with an Edge column. Uh, that's kind of where Winthrop Realty was talked about first. Uh, thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you next week.